University was once a stomping ground for U.S. presidents, war heroes, and leaders in a number of prestigious fields. Today we'll learn more about the school's beginnings, its progression through the centuries, and some stories of the people who impacted the institution. Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm with author Deborah Caruso Marone. She's a member of the Board of Directors of the Fordham College Alumni Association. Deborah researched and wrote the book, Fordham University and the United States, A History. It's out now through Elite Books. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Robin. So let's start before the beginning of the book. What did the area surrounding Fordham's Rose Hill campus look like in 1840 before the Bronx campus was built? Well, this was a, a farm, and it was run by a bunch of families leading up to the time that Archbishop Hughes, the Archbishop of New York, purchased it to run the college. So you had a number of families, the most prominent of which were the Corsa family and the Watts family, who operated a farm on this property. And the property, by the way, included the botanical gardens, and it included the Bronx Zoo property. And Archbishop Hughes came and bought the bought the property for a ridiculously low amount of money. I think it was $29,000. And he bought almost 100 acres and started St. John's College, as, as it was known at the beginning. And he was named John Hughes. So I don't know if that was a coincidence. Yeah, he might have named it after himself. It's, it's possible because he opened it on his uh, birthday, which was June 24th, 1841. And it was also St. John the Baptist Day. Now, how did it progress? So we ended up having this large field of farmland that now, did he come right out and want to build a, a university? He wanted to build a seminary for priests. His mission from the Pope, actually, was to come to New York and establish in New York more churches. There weren't a lot of Catholic churches. There were no Catholic hospitals, and there were no Catholic schools. And he had a mission, and that was to expand Catholicism in the United States. And there was a great deal of prejudice against Catholics in that day. There was a movement called the Know-Nothings, which was actually a violent group made up mainly of Protestants who were out to clash with Catholics. So he was a fighter. And there's the movie, the Martin Scorsese movie, Gangs of New York, where this is partly documented. And he fought, and tooth and nail, really, to stop the prejudice. Uh, that also existed in the public schools, where there was a public school society that was run by Protestants who were really teaching children in a prejudicial kind of a way. So the founding of St. John's College, later Fordham University, was all about that uh, movement to uh, have Catholicism thrive in New York City. Because they wanted to, basically, these prejudiced groups had migrated from Europe, correct? And still correct. had that kind of idea where they didn't appreciate the Pope and didn't like Catholics because of that. So that's what caused sort of the friction between yeah, the two that's groups. Yeah, a, that's a very good point because they were here for religious freedom and they were here for, they were Protestant for the most part. So as immigration groups came, Irish, Italian, at that time it was mostly Irish, there was the prejudice that happens in, has happened throughout the history of the United States. So how was the seminary built? Small? Small. Archbishop Hughes hired his brother-in-law, his sister's husband, who is named Rodrigue. Now, here on campus, there's still a building called Rodrigue's, or there's a coffee house called Rodrigue's. Rodrigue, and I don't remember his first name, was a quasi-architect, and he was a mathematician. So he, he was hired to teach math, and he was also hired to design buildings. And the two buildings he started with were St. John's Hall, 
which is now part of Roberts and Bishops and one of the dormitories here on campus, and the University Church. And those were the two buildings, which are still uh, among the most beautiful buildings on campus. And Fordham start, well, St. John started with just a few attendees, correct? Yeah, less than a dozen. And what was the mindset for creating this type of um, environment for Catholics? Well, what they wanted was to form an upper class of Catholics, okay, Catholics who had some degree of wealth who would then have some degree of power uh, because wealth begets power, as we know. So that, that was the mission, and that's exactly what he did. And the seminary idea evolved into a college in a very short time, and then uh, there were some issues, and he decided to turn it over to a, a group of Jesuits. And issues that's like what? Well, I, I think, and I'm not really sure what the issues were. He wasn't happy, I think, with the degree of education that was being uh, imparted on the young students. And he knew about the Jesuits. He knew that the Jesuits had uh, a very high standing in higher education, particularly in Europe. So Hughes went searching for a group of Jesuits or for a leader who would come to Fordham, to the, to the Fordham campus. Now, this was Fordham Manor. That's where the, where the name comes from. And this was called the Manor Fordham, this, this property here. And he found a group of Jesuits in Kentucky who were running a school that was failing. And he convinced them. And by the way, he didn't want the group of Jesuits at Georgetown to be involved because he didn't want Fordham University or Fordham College or St. John's College to be a stepsister of Georgetown. He wanted it independent and, and to grow on its own. So he found Augustus Tabode who was a prominent educator who had been educated at the Sorbonne in France, and he convinced him, who was in Kentucky, to come. They came by stagecoach, rail, a group of Jesuits, and they arrived in New York after this 14- or 15-day trek from Kentucky and found this college, and it was turned over to them eventually. And in your book, Deborah Fordham University in the United States, A History, I read that the average salary was around $300, but tuition at Fordham was $200. Right. So you can understand that this was uh, definitely they wanted the elite. So who were some of the elite that did attend Fordham? Well, among the first students was Patrick Dealey, who was a young man from, I believe, this area, who went on to become president of Fordham. And uh, Dealey Hall here on the campus is named after him. There was a, a man named Augustus O'Neill who was from the first class. But these folks, these young boys, and they were some, some of them were as young as 10 and 11, 12 years old because it wasn't a college necessarily. It was a boys' school. And the young men were from as far away as South America. So there was an interracial and interethnic group that were here at Fordham from the very beginning. Um, many from Latin America, many from the south of the United States, and many from the confines of the Northeast. And, and that really uh, segues into the Civil War because problems then arose when the Civil War broke out. How did Fordham change during and directly following the Civil War? Well, there was, there was significant change. Students left. Um, the Southern students went back to the south. And a lot of the northern students went to fight as well for the north. And interestingly, many uh, a number of priests who are here teaching also went to serve as chaplains. Um, so Fordham, uh, St. John's College, lost a number of people during the Civil War. There was declining enrollment. 
and there were financial issues because it was it was tough. It was a tough time for the United States economically because so much was being spent on the war, both in the North and the South, that th this place that was starting to thrive actually took a few steps back. And that's notable throughout the history of Fordham, that financially it goes up and then it takes a few steps back and then it goes up again. But um, the the really very interesting are the, the, the students who went on to become war heroes, among them Robert Gould Shaw, who led one of the first regiments of blacks, uh, black soldiers and, and, and was very distinguished and died with those soldiers and was buried with those soldiers, um, depicted, as a matter of fact, in the movie Glory by Matthew Broderick, as you probably know, and Denzel Washington, a graduate of Fordham, coincidentally, um, played one of the uh, heroic black soldiers of, of that regiment. So it's a very distinguished history. There was also a number of uh, men who ended up being generals in the United States Army uh, for the North. And uh, there were uh, brothers, three brothers, the McMahon brothers, uh, two of whom died in the Civil War, all three of whom were students at Fordham. And the one general, um, I think is Martin Thomas McMahon, went on to become a very noted person here in the United States and in New York. So we had some very distinguished alumni from Fordham who were, who were heroes, and they met actually, very interestingly, some met on the battlefield. And there's a great story in the book about one um, student or former student who met a Southern student and offered him food and coffee. He was suffering. He was uh, imprisoned, I think, a prisoner of war, and refused from his old comrade back at Fordham, refused his food because they were now enemies. And we know what was happening. You, you explained um, wonderfully what was happening in battle. At that time, what was going on here at, at, on the campus? Nothing changed. Oddly, not, not much changed ex except for the declining enrollment. Uh, it was noted that at Georgetown, Georgetown served as a hospital for injured soldiers during the war because it was so close to where the battlefields were. But Fordham was, uh, was not close, and New York was a relatively safe place in those years. Um, now, there, there was some talk that the leadership at Fordham was not necessarily on the side of President Lincoln, which we, we naturally would have some regrets about. Um, but they, the Jesuits had some property down south, and it was said, now I, I read this in my research, and it's not 100% documented, that they had to have some allegiance to the Confederate President Jefferson Davis because they were afraid of any retribution. Um, and they sort of towed this line during the Civil War of not offending the North and not offending the South. Was it retribution because a lot of the students were from the South? I didn't find anything along the lines of of retribution or any hatred or um, even discrimination from what I gather is that it was just self-preservation. Now, Deborah, during this time, Fordham, as you said earlier, was part of the um, what's now we know as the Bronx Zoo, now we know as the Botanical Gardens. Um, and at one point you said in your book that it was uh, part of Westchester County. It wasn't even Called, it wasn't even in the Bronx. Right. So when did Fordham's Rose Hill campus become part of the Bronx? Well, at the end of the 19th century, around 1898 or 1899, was the time that the five boroughs were formed. And that 
the Bronx was established as one of the five boroughs. And that at that time, the city took the property beyond Southern Boulevard. They had just built Southern Boulevard on the eastern side of what we now have as the Fordham campus. By eminent domain, the city took all of the Botanical Garden property and all of the Bronx Zoo property, um, which extends down to the uh, Bronx River. So at one time, the students could go and fish and swim in the Bronx River, and I'm sure the Bronx River was more uh, had more water in it. I think now it, it, it's sort of a trickle at this mm -hmm. point in the geography. But... Um, at, at that That's part time. of their regular activity. They would go, they would, you know, while they were out when they had their time off, they would go, they would fish, they would, you know, have fun out there. That's on absolutely all this acre true. Of land. That's absolutely true. And it, it, it was taken away from them. Uh, not that they couldn't, you know, sneak over there or use the property, but now there was a road dividing it. It wasn't part of the campus. How did Fordham feel about that? How, how did the powers that be at Fordham feel about the land being taken away? There wasn't much that I read about uh, a, any blowback because they really weren't using the property. The one thing they had to do was move the graveyard where the old Jesuits had been buried. And they did that in the dead of winter, which was sort of a comical story because they had to dig up the ground and transfer the bodies and make sure they were reburied near the, what is now the burial ground uh, near the university church. So it's, it's it, you know, it's funny. It's not funny, but it's, you know, it's somewhat comical that they had to do that. But they didn't really talk about how bad it was that they did I read in your book correct me if I'm wrong that at one point when they were moving the bodies they actually didn't where they weren't able to get all the bodies out and moved yes I believe that there were two bodies that were not accounted for and there was one priest who was there who was sort of the historian on campus or the archivist on campus and he very meticulously documented who was buried and who was among the bodies there and they they missed two. So what happened after the Civil War here at Fordham? There was a little bit of a rebuilding, and a few presidents came in. Father Dealey was then president, and there were changes because the old guard of the French-trained, European-trained Jesuits who were running the college had actually died off by then, and Father Dealey came in, and he was sort of new, fresh blood, he was very uh, attached. He had been in charge of St. Francis Xavier, I believe, down in Manhattan, and uh, was connected to the then mayor of the city of New York, and started really bringing the world to Fordham, the new, the new world, uh, not the old European world. So there was less teaching of Greek and Latin, and there was more concentration on the sciences because now industry was starting to pop up. And the Jesuits, the old guard, were against the teaching of science. They thought of it as sort of teaching secretarial skills rather than teaching actual Greek and uh, Latin mythology. It was very bad from their point of view. Because initially they wanted scholars. They you know? wanted they scholars. They didn't necessarily want, right. quote, unquote, working people. That, that's exactly right. They didn't want, and a scientist in those days was not considered a scholar. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. Today, author Deborah Caruso Marone and I are talking about her book, Fordham University and the United States, A History. Let's jump ahead a little to 1916, 1917. How did Fordham contribute to World War I? Very interesting. Of course, uh, President Wilson at that time was keeping the United States out of the war. 
he had been elected because he had pledged to keep the United States out of the war. Um, around 1916, we were still not in the war, but there were rumblings. And there was a man, and I don't recall his name, who decided that Fordham ought to send some soldiers over there or send some young men over there as part of the Fordham Overseas Ambulance Corps. And the priest who was head of Fordham at that time was all for it. He was a a great patriot. He was going around making speeches that were pro-war speeches. And they got a group, a couple of hundred young Fordham men together who served over in France um, in the Overseas Ambulance Corps. And then later, of course, when, when the United States entered the war, the campus emptied out again. Every time there was a war, uh, the campus emptied out because the young men were recruited and enlisted and, and went overseas. So how did um, St. John's slash Fordham at that time deal with not having students? How did thing cha- things change on the campus? It was, it was tough. They went through another yet another financial uh, crisis because they didn't have enough students. And they had opened up some of the graduate schools by then. The medical school was running. The law school was running. There were uh, the the graduate programs in arts and sciences and social services were just coming up around then and the pharmacy program. And those schools admitted women, so they were able to maintain some status of some number of students. Um, of course, there were no women yet in Fordham College, proper St. John's College, as it was still known. The college, the university came into being in 1907 with all of those extra schools. But St. John's College was still the liberal arts college that remained and remained restricted to men. And coming out of World War One, where was Fordham? It began to be built up again. That's right. Where was Fordham then? It was growing again, and there was financially the United States was doing well. It was sort of the roaring 20s. There were some challenges because there was a rebuilding here. Um, there were uh, They were starting to build a football team. They were starting to build a basketball team. So throughout the 20s was sort of a, a decade of, of building at Fordham. And then in, in the 1930s, the school comes into its own. So did the Great Depression affect Fordham at all? I, I believe it did, um, but not as much as you would think because football was thriving during the 1930s. And Vince Lombardi was playing here, and there were the Seven Rocks of Granite. So Fordham was the place to be in you the 30s. You have to explain to our audience who doesn't know what the Seven Rocks of Granite are. What is that, and okay. what's Vince Lombardi's it, connection to Fordham? And I'll have to do that in, in, in layman's terms because I'm, I, I don't <laughs> know everything do. about football. <laughs> but the Seven Rocks of Granite was the defensive line that protected the quarterback. And uh, I guess there were seven at that time. Maybe there still are seven on today's football fields for all I know. But the seven men, one of them being the the great Packers coach, Green Bay Packers coach, who led the Green Bay Packers to many Super Bowls. Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi was a player at that time, a Fordham player uh, from the New York area. I think he grew up in Brooklyn, and he was a scruffy young guy uh, who had a lot of heart and a lot of grit. And he he was one of the members of the Seven Rocks of Granite and, and made them famous. And uh, obviously, Vince Lombardi is a—he's just still famous. Mm-hmm. So, um, coming out of World War II, we're going to jump a little bit. And in 1941, some changes took place at Fordham. So, how did the school become a force during World War II? Well, go ahead. Oh, well, go ahead. 
So I was thinking along the lines of, like you said, Fordham began to enroll its first black student. That's one of the changes. Uh, Fordham was home to two units of the Army. And more specifically, the GI Bill also helped to change how Fordham was structured. That's what I read in your book, Fordham University and the United States of History, Deborah. So let's get into that a little bit more about Fordham and its changes in 1941. Well, Father Gannon was president, and Father Gannon was a force here. He was the first president to have a long tenure. Before that, the Jesuits had some sort of a rule at Jesuit colleges, which which had blossomed all over the country, that the president should serve two two-year terms. Well, that ended somehow in the 1930s, and Father Gannon came in. He was here for a good dozen years, and he was a force to be reckoned with. He was buddy-buddy with Cardinal Spellman, the Archbishop of New York. He had a connection to power, and he was able to get things done, both because he was here for a long time and because things were going well. You know, Fordham was positioned well, largely because of sports, and because he had those connections to people like Cardinal Spellman. What was he able to get done? He built more buildings. He brought more students to campus. Academically, built the academic program so that students coming here were really getting a fine education. So the school became much more prominent and much more famous. He brought Franklin Delano Roosevelt to campus. He brought Mrs. Roosevelt, the president's mother, to campus. He made Fordham a real center of higher education and a real place to be in the 1940s. And he was fighting students off with a stick at this point because he was getting calls from the governor, from the president. You have to take more students. You have to take more students because after World War II, all of the students, as you mentioned, were on the GI Bill. They were able to get college educations. They were coming back from Europe in droves. They had the money to go to school and there weren't enough schools. So Fordham was bursting at the seams at the end of World War II. Because in your book, you stated that there was sort of that change of philosophy because, again, Fordham at the at the beginning wanted scholars. But now we have the GI Bill allowed working Joes to get in a, a college education also. That's right. And Father Gannon didn't really like that because he really wanted the scholars and he didn't want the average Joe on campus. But he was challenged um, on that point by the politicians here in New York who were calling him day and night and saying you have to take, a, you know, day and night is an exaggeration, right. but they were calling him saying you have to take more students, you have to take more students. And he acquiesced because I guess he didn't have much choice. Deborah, some of the buildings on Fordham's campus in the Bronx have a very gothic look. Was this always the intention? I believe that it was because Rodrigue, the architect, had designed the first two buildings in the Gothic character, the University Church and, and St. John's Hall, as I mentioned. And later on, there was that consistency when they built Dealey Hall and when they built Hughes Hall, which is now the Gabelli School of Business, all in that style. Um, and Keating Hall was built in the 1930s, so we're going back a little bit. Uh, because President Hogan, Father Hogan, who was president, had been to Cambridge and studied at Cambridge in, in London, and he had studied at Boston College, where they have Gasson Hall. And if you look at, there are two pictures in the book of Gasson Hall and, and Keating Hall side by side, and you see a striking resemblance. But they all, uh, they got grander and grander to, to a certain extent, with Keating being the, the, the pinnacle and the, the trademark building on campus, but that's what Father Hogan, he said he wanted. 
uh, a trademark building. Fordham must have a trademark building. And they built Keating Hall. And until the 70s, the architecture did remain consistent and gothic. And then all of a sudden, Walsh Hall was built and the dorm 555 was built and they didn't really conform. But now when, when Father O'Hare came in the, in the 80s and 90s, um, he, he went back to the roots and, and the Walsh Library, and et cetera. And Fordham's Lincoln Center campus was dedicated in 1961. Mm-hmm. And this was actually just as Americans' involvement with the Vietnam War was escalating. So was there unrest at Fordham's campus at this time because of what was going on in Vietnam? Oh, absolutely. Fordham, along with Columbia, became a center of protest uh, during the Vietnam War. Uh, there were many protests. There were fires um, lit on campus in protest. There were bomb scares. There was a famous incident of a secretary who thought there was a bomb on her desk and ran it out to Edwards Parade so that it could explode. Of course, it wasn't a bomb, thankfully. And Edward Parade is? Edward Ed, Edwards Parade is the quadrangle at the center of campus where students congregate. That, it's um, like this beautiful big park of grass. It's like they go out and kind of sit around it, there. So. It's a it's a beautiful place because you can take in all the architecture from this central spot that's usually green and, and, and you can see the sky and the trees and the and the, the buildings. It's a, it's a great spot. It's an iconic spot on this campus. But there were protests. There was a dean who was uh, barricaded in his office and then later suffered a heart attack, um, which was attributed to the stress that he encountered by being barricaded in his office. And that was an interesting story because didn't he not want to step down? That's right. Mm-hmm. He, 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 I, his name was Marty Mead, and he was, he was a hero on campus because he really stood by the students. Uh, the students at that time were protesting that there was no African-American studies program, and they wanted an expanded African-American studies. There might have been a, a, a small one. And he stood by the students, and he, he, he really defended them, saying, no, 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 they, they didn't harm me, and they didn't cause my heart attack. Um, and he went on to, to continue at Fordham after that. And after that, there was an African-American studies program that was established. And, of course, um, the students were also protesting the Vietnam War. And now we're heading up to the 70s and 80s when there was a a, a, nas- a national recession going on uh, and New York City sort of developed a, a bad reputation of sort of being seedy and dirty and gritty uh, and crime-ridden. So did this reputation affect Fordham at all? It did. Sadly, because the Bronx was, was a big part of what had happened to New York City, Fordham was was greatly affected, and parents didn't necessarily want to send their students to Fordham. At that time, Fordham was largely a commuter school, so students would have had to take the subway here. And they were uh, dangerous. And the subways were dangerous, and they would have had to walk down Fordham Road at different hours of the night. Some f- students boarded here, but of, of course, you always had to go out to the outer world to go to work or to, to, to go to a restaurant. And um, there was a decline in enrollment, and there was a decline in the conditions here on campus during those those very difficult years. And that's when I was here in the late 70s. And this, the campus wasn't the beautiful, um, bucolic place that it is now. It was more careworn, and it was a little threadbare. And uh, you would see, uh, you see this on all college campuses, posters or leaflets, and but they wouldn't come down and they wouldn't be changed and you'd have a light bulb that was out or... Um, it wasn't as kept up as it is now. Exactly, exactly. And and there was, on the academic side, I think the same was, you know, that, that was reflected also, the lack of funding was reflected on the academic side, on the sports side, uh, there, there weren't the winning teams anymore. 
and the, the, the university suffered on all fronts. Being an alumni, um, being being in Fordham during the 70s, what was the personal experience like being here at a place that some people were afraid to come to? I, I don't know if we realized it then. When you're young, you don't you don't realize that. You don't see it as a parent sees it. You we we had the greatest time in our of our lives as all Fordham as all college students do at whatever college they attend, and we made great friends. I personally worked at WFUV and loved every minute of it. Disclaimer. So, <laughs> disclaimer, right? Yes, of course. So I would never say that it was bad or that we got a bad education. We just didn't get the world-class education that today's students are getting, and we didn't get all the perks that that may be available today, to today's students of getting internships and, and getting jobs and having that connection to New York City that there is. There were things that we were missing, but I don't think we knew that we were missing them. And your Fordham experience must have really stuck with you because you're still here with us. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm back anyway. Back. I'm back. <laughs> uh, so, Deborah, if uh, we want to pick up your book, Fordham University and the United States of History, where can we do so? It is available on Amazon.com, at BarnesandNoble.com. Is it available at the bookstore at the Rose Hill and Lincoln Center campuses? And the proceeds will help the Alumni Association. 70% go to the Alumni Association. I want to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing what you learned about Fordham University. It was my pleasure, Robin. So I'd like to thank my guest, Deborah Caruso Marone. Her book, Fordham University and the United States, A History, is out now from Elite Books. I'd also like to thank my producer, Alan Canlick. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. And you can stay tuned for George Bodarkey and Cityscape. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>